0: Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk, please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, The Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, The Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And I've had this cat on my radar for a long time. I've done a deep dive into. All musics uh, that stretch the lineage in our country that go way back in time, Sam Cooke and Ray Charles and R&B, Bird, Charlie Parker, and cats like uh, Jack Teagarden and Jazz and, uh, you know, the original rockers like Little Richard and Elvis and, and uh, Fats Domino. And um, Bluegrass is no different. The original father of Bluegrass was Bill Monroe. And uh, people like Peter Rowan uh, learned under his tutelage. People like Bill Keith learned under his tutelage. Uh, uh, even though David Grisman never played with him, uh, he introduced uh, uh, his own brand of doggrass uh, to our American musical lexicon. And today I get a chance to, got to talk to a cat who uh, has continued to expand the lineage of, uh, of music and, and the vocabulary of music uh, in his own way. Um, in in many prolific settings. Uh, He seems to stay on the uh, northeastern part of the country uh, quite a bit, which is more mellow and obviously more accepting of melodic music. Uh, But he originally hails from uh, San Francisco area and uh, has really done, uh, has continued to be a prodigious uh, painter and artist on his palette, musical palette, over the last four or five decades. Daryl Anger, welcome to the Jake Feinberg well, Show. Well, it's good to be here, Jake. Well, thanks.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. No, no and, problem. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to contribute something interesting. Oh, in I, here.
0: I wanted to ask you um, about uh, if you, I mean, it, uh, this is sort of an ego question, but uh, do you feel like there was a certain period of time uh, where you were adding vocabulary to the... M- american musical lexicon
1: well you know as part of a group i think yeah uh we were pretty conscious of trying to uh, you know certainly fill in uh you know blank spaces within the you know the, the general instrumental uh universe of uh, certainly North american music and well of course that includes the world uh i think and especially uh you know, uh, the work I did with, uh, David Grismond, where we were really kind of, uh, expanding the repertoire of, you know, kind of the standard bluegrass bass string band, you know, cause we had a couple of mandolins, guitar, string bass and fiddle. And that is pretty close to, uh, you know, an occasionally banjo. Um, we actually did a whole tour with Bela before Bela kind of got, uh, um, you know Famous Right and, and, You know Start right. his own thing That was fun um, So yeah We were kind of just Doing stuff that People didn't expect Out of string band uh, Styles of music um, You know Plus the original stuff Which was really based on uh, You know Pop music I mean We were all kind of Ruined for any kind of Traditional Pure Traditional music By the Beatles you know, Who uh, You know Just Were great Um you know, combiners, they were always looking for ways to uh, bring in other styles of music. You know, the idea of music is that kind of universal language. And then later, with the Turtle Island Strinker Cat, that was a real conscious decision to integrate the language of jazz and contemporary pop music um, into the string quartet, you know, which, uh, you know, people associate with classical music, Western European art music, whatever we're calling it. But um, we knew that it was capable, you know. And, and you know, from my work with David, uh, I knew that, you know, any instrument can kind of play any kind of style of music if you figure out how to do it. <laughs> and uh, so that was a really interesting thing where we used some rhythm techniques um, that uh, I had. Developed and learned from a guy who played with Bill Monroe, a fiddle player, uh, Richard Green, uh, to you know expand the ability, you know, so that Cinco Tech could play all the parts, you know, all the drum parts, the percussion parts, the accompaniment parts like piano, and guitar parts, as well as just solo and things like that. So can that you, was can you talk?
0: Was, oh, this is interesting. I've, I've done three interviews with Richard. Um, can you talk about? I'm sorry. Cool. Did, what exactly was? I mean, I mean, Bill. I, I talked to David three times as well, and I mean, we talked. I asked him. <laughs> I asked him originally about cool. uh, about uh, when he first added a, a trap set and why he did that. But I mean, Bill Monroe did not have a trap set. So could he you? Sure t- Richard Green was influential to you because he. What do you mean he was playing all the parts? Can you break that down? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, I mean, the idea of a a string band uh, in general is that uh, everybody is the drummer, right? You you don't just have a drummer. Hmm. Everybody is, you know, part of a a giant trap kit, you know, consisting of all the instruments, and everybody is responsible for, like, making the groove and the rhythm happen. Um, So uh, that is certainly a huge part of bluegrass, bluegrass, certainly, you know, up to that point it was the most exciting rhythmic music that you could play, you know, in a string band. And that's I think that's one of the main reasons why so many people were attracted to it. Richard, in uh, his tenure with Bill Monroe, uh, was encouraged to play rhythm, you know, along with Bill. Um, because, you know, he, um, you know be part of any... You know, playing with any band is learning to learning the groove and learning the rhythm of the group. I mean, every group has a characteristic rhythm. It might be a whole set of rhythms, but certainly, you know, many famous groups they you might even have one groove that they do, and they do it better than anybody else. But at any rate, uh, Richard was encouraged to just play along with Bill when Bill was doing chopping, right? You know, the chop,
0: the chop, that's like right, the chop, yeah.
1: Yeah, the chop is like the snare drum. It's like the backbeat. Usually the mandolin, when the mandolin is sewing, somebody else has to do that. So um, Bill said, you play along with me, Richard. You, you play exactly what I play. So Richard was doing that for a couple of months and uh, eventually figured out how to do more than just chunk the bow down on the strings. You actually could figure out how to get a sound going down on the strings and coming up from the strings. So from that technique, it was brand new technique. Nobody had done anything like that before. And it's very, very exciting. and uh, super really turned the turned the violin into a kind of like a guitar, you know a drum and a guitar together. And that was when I heard Richie doing that, um, when I met David and those guys. I was a kid and David and well, David and Richard were not that much older. I think they were just turning 30. That's what I love about I was, it is
0: that you're, you're this is so classic because, you know, I mean, you kind of are you're just on a little bit of a younger tangent than than the quote unquote gray beards like Rowan and Green. Like you, you know, uh-huh. but <laughs> this is my question though. Um, is that when I interviewed Bela a few years ago? I asked him about I don't know what the question was, but he said that he was heavily, heavily impacted by uh, going to see Return to Forever uh, and seeing Chick Corea uh, playing, oh, yeah. uh, playing these uh, chromatic, uh, just playing this the, the sonic expansion that they were doing. And and, and Bela said, you know, there every note he's playing. Is on the banjo. I just need to find it, and I'm just. I know you grew up in San Francisco, and and I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, anger really needs to break down a time when you were sort of. It could have been uh, a horn player. It could have. It could have been in a jazz context. What was an awe-inspiring moment in a quote-unquote jazz setting when you were, you know, like late '60s or early '70s when you were? Oh yeah. When you were when you saw somebody place play. play Music, free music or improvisation Uh and and you said, Boy, I I gotta find those notes.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, jazz has always been in my life. My parents were one of that generation of people, millions of people who bought the Dave Brubeck time out (laughs) record which he had. Morello. Morello, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Morello. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Joe
1: Joe Morello. Joe F. Morello. What an amazing drummer that guy was. Unreal. And of course, you know, as far as tone goes, I'd, I'd already started playing the violin. Um, just listening to that with, like, no real context, right? You know, so many people bought that record just saying, well, I guess I must like jazz. So it's Everyone has it, so I guess I'd better get it, too. But it happened to be incredible music. Uh, time, certainly. Uh, time signatures and things like that. Um, but just the tone of that record. Uh, if you go back and listen to that record, it is some of the best sounding uh recording just as a recording uh you will ever hear ever it's uh stands up to anything nowadays and of course all those guys are tone guys uh joe morello of course uh eugene Wright, the bass player and uh paul desmond who inter- who would introduce himself as the world's slowest sax player you know he was uh not uh you know he didn't play a million notes but what he did play it was great and his tone was incredible and i realized you know that um my benchmark for tone on any instrument certainly on the violin comes from that very early encounter with the recording of paul desmond so um you know i've can always you
0: specifically been, this is so important so his, I mean, he had this more. I mean, I'm doing, a, I'm actually producing a film documentary on Stan Getz and Getz.
1: Oh, fantastic! Well, Getz was another guy. Him, another yeah, guy. I mean, just, I mean, again,
0: right. what's insane, what's what's really quite remarkable is is what a sociopath and an insane person he was. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? yeah. but, 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 the but, way but, they
1: pick up the horn. Exactly. I mean, it was the,
0: the most. I mean, first of all, his the the, the sequencing of his uh, melodic ideas was like. Ridiculous. I mean, it was the, it was probably the greatest. Yeah. He's the greatest. Uh, and, and but at the same time, he was uh, you know he was he had four women at, at one table thinking they were all with him, and then during the set break, he'd go and hit on the bass player's wife and then tell the bass player that. She, <laughs> so he was a, he was kind of a, a jerk in some ways, but he was. But I but mean, what I'm saying is, can you go deeper with Desmond's the sonic nature of it and how you was that the cat where you were like, I, I got to incorporate some of this into the into the fit into the. Yeah into the violin uh, or, you know, can yeah. you, can you talk about that?
1: Well, you know, this happened at such an early age, you know, I was not even conscious of that, but you know, when I think about a melodic instrument, you know, that it happened early enough and I listened to that record a lot and yeah. read the lighter notes over and over again, because I was a, a reader, you know, even at that
0: age. Sure. Too. Sure.
1: It just got into my head that that's the way you're supposed to sound. You know, if you play a melodic instrument, um, you have to, you know, you have to make, melodies, and you have to sound incredibly, you know, it's like the chocolate tone, it's like you know, it's all this space around it, this beautiful kind of mocha chili sound, you know, it's just very deep, dark, you know, and uh, you know, that's okay, well, that's the way somebody's, you know, that's the way somebody's supposed to sound, it's like imprinting or something, you know, it's a baby duck at that level, you know, um, I'm, you know, this uh, just yeah, you know. Okay, that's the sound. And when I heard somebody like Vassar Clements, you know, his tone, I heard it on the. I heard him on first on uh, John Hartford's Aeroplane record, and then next, right after that, uh, the 80 Grey Dirt Band's uh, Circle Beyond Broken record came out, and Vassar was all over both those records, and his sound, especially on the Will Circle Beyond Broken record. Corresponded to me. It has a very many, you know, parallels with uh, with um, those guys. You know, the saxophone sounds. And of course, Vassar, you know, has said repeatedly, over and over again, "Well, I'm just trying
0: (laughs) Dude, I I'm I I can't. I mean, I don't know if you ever got your hands on this record. Uh, Pacific Standard Oil released all these um, these records, LPs in 1974. Strings, keyboards. Woodwinds, percussion, and one of them was dedicated to strings, and so I mean there was a track by uh, David and Richard talking about uh, new, ac- what they called new acoustic music, or uh, and so this, yeah. and then and then there's this one track though, and this young female interviewer, and she's really hip and kind of spaced out, and she's interviewing Vassar, okay, and <laughs> and, and I swear, I mean, dude, this dude. Was such a street scholar. And this is what I love about the fact because you are right on that cusp of sort of before academia, there was schooling in music, but it, vocabulary wasn't, oh, yeah. you know. And so Vassar's like, this girl's asking him, like, um, you know, something to the effect of, uh, "He, he the, what I loved about Vassar was just he could say eight words and they were the most profound eight words I've ever heard. Yeah. In my, he was like, well, he's like, um, oh God, I, I can't even do it justice. He goes, someone plays the fiddle. He's like, someone plays the fiddle really, really good. It's It sounds good, but if it's really bad, it's really, really bad. You know, <laughs> you know, just, you know just like, you know, just, just, I mean, the guy was just a salt of the earth character, you know, and I've done yeah. an our, I mean, this is one reason I wanted to connect with you because I, this, I've, I've tried to approach this thing. Uh, we become so stratified in music and everything There's an R&B station, oh, there's yeah. a rock station And you guys came up sure. with it when it was all music and, and so Vassar, I mean that dude just burned so hard And yet it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like, you know, steeped in academia It was just, I, I loved right. how mellow and how beautiful and how burning he was. And so, you know, th- anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Just, I just, I love that kid oh, yeah. so much, dude. But,
1: yeah, I think everybody, you know, has got to love Vassar. You know, you just, you know, just hearing him, but also meeting him. You know, he was such a great guy. You obviously talking to him a lot. He was so, just a sweet fella. And uh, certainly, you know, probably one of the last great self-taught fiddle players. Like, completely self-taught. I mean, he just heard Chubby Wise on the radio. <laughs> and. Tried to copy it He just figured out How to
0: do it Did yeah. you Did you ever come um, across This cat um, I think his name was Red Taylor uh, Yeah Merle that, Taylor Merle Ta- Taylor Dude That dude Was on the razor's edge Dude And I'll tell you He had a trap set In his band too You were just marinating In this stuff The, the, the idea here is oh, yeah. Anger You know According to uh, According to uh, Wikipedia uh, you were birthed in music Starting when you started in 1977 But I don't believe that I believe that you started earlier I believe that you had bands well, I, was, I mean, What I'm saying is I believe, I, I believe you had gigs and bands Prior to, <laughs> to joining Grisman So I want to get Because I mean listen I, I've gotten I've had How deep my show I'm mean, at 39 years old I basically have gone And documented a time Before I was born Where at the Jabberwock uh, Richard Green almost took out Herb Peterson's eye with an up bow. This is back in '66. <laughs> so, so I know that you were I mean, you were probably a little bit too young to maybe play with them, but with the Peanut uh, Gallery, where they let younger cats sit in, or I mean, sit uh-huh. you know, without it. Can you please paint the picture of late '60s, early '70s anger, and where you <laughs> where you were at musically, and kind of what what were you experimenting with? Because, like you said, Richard Green at that point in '72 with c Train was you know he was putting wah-wah pedals on the on the on the on the fiddle
1: yes um okay well uh let's go back to 1964 uh when i was an 11 year old kid living in uh, new jersey temporarily before i moved to california and um uh the beatles took over they they washed away everything i was listening to pop radio like every other kid that age and um Something about the Beatles did it for me, and uh, I immediately wanted to become a guitar player. So my parents bought me a cheap guitar, which was so cheap that it was not actually physically playable. <laughs> um, big shortage of of you know cheap playable guitars in that time period. That changed, of course, but at that point it was not. Um, I actually encountered that guitar. Uh, maybe ten years later, when I was uh, just in my late teens, and uh, it still was unplayable. I still couldn't play it, so it wasn't my fault,
0: <laughs>
1: and it wasn't their fault. You know, they didn't know. They were trying to help me out. Was it? I
0: want to be clear though. Like this was uh, the Beatles. Had, I was
1: into music. Sixty in four.
0: Yeah. Right? So I mean, this so is. I was, mean, this was, I was. This was before. Interested. This was before Forest Hills, like before Dylan plugged in and things like that.
1: Well, I suppose you know I was kind of unaware
0: of it. I would assume you were a, you in were fact, 11 years old, basically.
1: Yeah, I you know, was. I was just you know whatever was being fed to me you know on TV and radio. Sure. That was what I was into, and the Beatles were quality. I could apparently I could recognize that at least, and so um, but you know with the guitar I, I, you know it didn't happen. So we were in a restaurant uh, with my I was in a restaurant with my parents, and some guy was strolling tables. with was violent. And he seemed to be having a great time. He's playing, you know, screwy shit. You know, it's crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, no, no, we're, no.
0: We, we are. We're, you, you, let it, let it, let it fly. We're good. We're streaming worldwide, okay. but we're not held down by FCC. Right. So go ahead.
1: Okay, yeah. great. Well, anyway, you know, he was, you know, but it looked fun and it looked easy, you know. So, oh, oh that looks a lot easier in guitar. I'll, I'll play, I'll play that, you know, because I want to be playing music. I want to play music. So. um They found me a a violin actually A friend of the family had a violin So I went into violin Well The state of violin instruction In, you know 65 or whatever it was Was, you know It was You either play classical music Or nothing Exactly I had no idea fiddling existed Until I was halfway through high school When I heard Richard playing with the band C-Train, that rock band with Peter Roaner.
0: Dude, um, see, was, that's a good yeah. mind-blowing band. I mean, and he was, he, yeah, so go ahead, I'm sorry. You saw them on the east or west coast? It,
1: yeah, it changed my life. I, I was At that time, I was on the west coast. I was at a club called Pepperland in Marin County. Oh,
0: beautiful, <laughs> beautiful,
1: I, beautiful. seeing the Grateful Dead. You know, I was back in the guitar at that time. I was saying, oh, okay, I got on the Found an electric guitar for like a hundred bucks in the drugstore, and I'd say, "Oh man, yeah, I could do this." You know, of course, there's two hundred guys ahead of me in my high school alone just on lead guitar. I was learning my air clapping licks as fast as I could, but um, you know, Richard came along with that band, uh, and um, you know, they were opening for the Youngbloods of all people. So I'd gone to see the Youngbloods because you know they had a song darkness darkness They had a fiddle on it. I said, "Wow, that's weird." There's a violin playing something. Well, it turned out to be David Lindley. I was hoping to see David Lindley, but he's not in the band. But instead, <laughs> uh, C Train with Richard Greed comes on, opens for the Youngblood, changes my life utterly and you know in an hour. It was basically an hour. My life was changed. I was going like, "Wow." All the stuff I'm trying to do, uh, do on guitar, I already have a little more stuff together on violin, really, so I could do this on violin, and nobody else is doing it in my high school, so I'll have a niche. you know I could play, plug the violin in and play real loud. And you know that uh, kind of one thing led to another. Um, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, so there's all this great stuff happening. Uh, Dan Hicks the hot Lex was playing all over the area. And so there was this kind of connection to all music at that point. And, of course, we were listening to the FM stations and everybody was playing everything. They would play Shostakovich and then they'd play Hendrix and they'd play you know, uh, Django Reinhardt.
0: Um, like back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Exactly. Your ears were wide. Your ears were so... Your ears were not locked, okay? They were yeah, not locked.
1: The, DJs were educated and they, were, they had freedom to do stuff like that which was so great
0: absolutely and so i mean again uh ponty ponty wasn't on your radar at that point uh at that in what he was doing
1: um no not yet that was that happened just a couple years later when i got into college i was starting to listen to frank zappa and people like that um and and then of course ponty came in big time What was interesting is that Ponty kind of had the same sound as Richard. They were using the same violin
0: pickup. (laughs) Well, I mean, mean, um, again, Ponty started playing. What's amazing is uh, he was playing free jazz. He was so blown away by Coltrane in France that he started to play. Oh, yeah. But he was literally playing for, like, one or two people, and he was ready to give up. And he was, like, literally ready to move on with his life. And then just by happenstance, John Lewis from the Modern Jazz Quartet, which was probably another impact on you. You mentioned the... the oh, you, yeah. Uh, he said uh, he happened to go to see Frank Zappa. Uh, he happened to know Zappa, and he said, Frank, uh, you know, there's this... There's this, vi-, And Frank was looking for, uh, for this, uh, you know, instrument to incorporate into his... Music and, right. and and he said, yeah, there's this guy Jean-Luc Ponty. You know, you got to check him out. And next thing you know, they connected, and Jean-Luc was on King Kong that record uh, with George Duke, yeah. and, and there and there you go. I mean, it's this. There was a mysticism, and and sort of a. a I mean, w- going back to the Beatles, aside from the fact that you know Ringo Starr is just a feel drummer, he's not like a chops drummer. But you know, it's like, did you was it the be- endless or seemingly boundless? Potential to go anywhere In music what was it the optimism What was it about the Beatles for you That changed your, your Musical uh, point of view
1: Yeah I think it was that you know that kind Of eclecticism it's all music We're going to try everything we're going to Be creative we're going to like use funny chords We're going to just go we're going to do Like sweet you know we're going to like expand The structure you know of what we're Doing we're going to have crazy You know um, we're going to put you know, different melodies together, you know, under and over, and you know, we're gonna like go here, we're gonna go there. That, uh, you know, and that whole spirit of exploration of that period was kind of in that same uh, ballpark. You know, I, I just thought that was, you know, what we were supposed to do, and I loved it. And uh, I would listen to music, I would come home, I'd put on uh, the Boston Pops playing, uh, you know, Rhapsody of Blue. And then I put on Sergeant Pepper. And then I put on Disraeli Gears, you know, <laughs> Wheels of Fire. You know? And I just go through it. You know, it's just wow. This is the most amazing stuff. And that that kind of became my. Life. And then I put on John Fahey. You know, and I would read the liner notes to John Fahey records. You know, because he used you know five dollar words, and I, I love that too. You know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, this is amazing. You
0: know. I'm sorry. Brent, I'm, this is. I'm, I've been trying to. Uh, I've been into. Lindley's running for the woods for me. He's. He. He. he doesn't know what he's getting into. But that dude. <laughs> that dude was, uh, back in '66. I've done three interviews with Keltner Keltner said that they. Oh were, man. They were. They were teaching at a music store on the on the second floor. Keltner was giving snare drum lessons. Gary Foster was giving you know clarinet and and then Lindley was teaching banjo, but you heard you heard him playing fiddle Incredible. with i'm sorry which which band what, what, did you think that he was on the record that you uh that you thought you were gonna see him
1: oh uh you know i i went to i went to see the young Bloods, but i you know, yeah, uh uh oh i did was the, it was the young Buzz, um, so one of the yeah. one of the tracks so he yeah. was opening for the young Bloods. so that's what Turned me on to this whole, you know, universe, and then I started discovering that there, you know, uh, you know, bluegrass existed, and that it kind of the world opened up from there. You know, it was, uh, you know, between Dan Hicks and Hot Lips, leading me to, uh, you know, the Hot Club of France, all that stuff. I just realized there was a lot of, and then of course hearing John Hartford. You know, you can't not buy a record that has a picture of John Hartford with those goggles on it. I, I didn't know what I was buying, and then it turned out to have so, so, I am yeah, still look I
0: am still happening. looking for the seminal John Hartford album and I've really never come across it is Morning Bugle. Well, you know Morning there's, Morning Bugle. There's so many. I mean Morning Morning yeah.
1: Bugle preceded Aeroplane, but for me Aeroplane was when everything went nuclear.
0: <laughs> why is and, that? Well why is that?
1: Well, it's when bluegrass <laughs> met marijuana, you know, and or, or baby, psychedelics, you know? maybe
0: psychedelics? Well, I don't know, it
1: was, you know, to me it was like it was softer than that. It was like more, you know, it's more conversational and more, you know, it wasn't really like the, you know, I'd already been through the psychedelics with like Sergeant Pepper and all that stuff, you know. Um, this was like bluegrass, well, you know, John was basically playing something that sounded like bluegrass, but it was totally original and he was talking about things that I understood, it wasn't about somebody a little log cabin in the lane or a little red house by the lake, someplace you know where you know you, you had everybody had their shotgun and they were hanging out and you know <laughs> you know eating pigs right and stuff. It was like my experience, which was kind of you know slightly altered but contemporary, you know. And as he was he was writing, you know, he the songs on that record were just beautifully put together they didn't have to rhyme they were funny you know there was all the stuff and faster was just going mad you know um it wasn't folk music it was new music it was new acoustic music <laughs> wow that killed me you know and so at the, you know at, between everything else that and everything else i was i was kind of ready to meet those guys um and I went to Santa Cruz, California, and went to college and My big career decision was to drop out of college after two years and go to work and uh, you know play boo guys in a pizza parlor. but this is the San Francisco Bay Area, so everything was connected at that time um a lot of artists you know all you know now it's too expensive to live there if you're an artist well,
0: they've pushed all at the art yeah it's all gentrified now, yeah, but
1: that's you know that's how things go, you know that's okay. Um, but at that time it was incredible. It was like the most fertile area, you know. People were working at every level. I was going to fiddle fiddle conventions, you know, contests and conventions in San Jose and Modesto, you know, out in the valley, you know, where you know, guys were still wearing cowboy hats and they were serious about it, you know. And that was happening. I was meeting people like Byron Berline, who was one of the most the nicest people in the world and, and very helpful to me personally you know just trying to develop my fiddling and so um yeah and and just hanging out in santa cruz i took the one class i took uh that was useful to me has been um uh, and at the university of california santa cruz where their uh their uh, uh their their mascot is a banana slug is was um given by a guy named marsh lester who may still be with us i think he's still around um who basically took the class through uh, the harry smith anthology of, of folk music and com- just commented on it right. talked about it incredible you know very uh knowledgeable guy who also happened to be a great reverend gary david style guitar player a really good banjo player Um, A pretty good mandolin player and a terrible fiddle player. So I actually had something to offer him in return as far as just, you know, basic technique on fiddle. So we got along. Uh, I later, learned, and he taught me so much, you know, just through that class and through hanging out. And uh, I learned later, like 30 years later, that he was also the guy who turned Jerry Garcia on to folk music. Uh, not in an official capacity, but as a buddy, you know, somebody who just was hanging out in uh, the Palo Alto area. Really, during like way before I was, you know, I was like that, you know. Here I am, I'm sitting there, you know, going like, man, I wish I could play with the big kids, you know, like those guys. You know, there's just a couple of years, you know, like maybe eight years ahead of me, you know. All you know, the guys that were hanging out in Washington Square, like David and, and Richard, you know, all those guys that were doing the the jug band stuff. Well oh, man, this is amazing. Those guys, you know, they're just a little too old for me to hang, you know. Which is probably good because it probably kept me out of some some trouble, you know, as far as like drugs and things like that. Right. But I finally got to hang with the big kids when I went to work with David, and that was an amazing experience.
0: Did you? I, I just to want to be honest. clear. I want to be clear though. I, this is but before the career, uh, before. Uh, what mainstream society considers the beginning of anger's career did you have it oh, this
1: is like 1971 to 1975 right no so right. i want to, what was the first
0: yeah. did you did you have a band of your own before you joined david
1: oh man i had tons of bands it was santa cruz you know it's like a beach town i was in five different bands i had my own band i was in other people's bands i was sitting in with people we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff and it was great because it was all full, you know, it had a great acoustic music store with guitars and I was building instruments. I was building uh banjo necks and then I got into building um you know mandolins, uh bluegrass mandolins I built those in the basement of the house. I was paying ninety dollars a month rent and going down to the basement.
0: Were um, were you a friend you, of mine
1: had a band song.
0: Were you uh were you playing Watsonville at the ro- wooden roller coasters and things like that?
1: Yeah, we were playing everywhere. We were playing up the hill. Yeah. Watson well, <laughs> you, you you've been out of there. Well, so, no, you know, I, I, you know, I, we I have, and I just, you know, I
0: mean, you know, okay. you know what, what I what I want to know is... We how, would open for yeah. Doc
1: Watson, and my dad would open for Doc Watson at the, uh, you know, Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium, oh my and oh. that was how I got in and met David and Vassar, um, older in the way, played the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium, and I knew the guys, that, you know, the security people, at the, so I just got backstage and... Uh, when they played, I, I walked right up to David and Vassar. said, hey guys, I love you guys. You're the most amazing. I'm a fiddler too, and, and I think they were just so charmed by the fact that somebody had come backstage to not meet Cherry Garcia. Exactly that they kind of like remembered me. later. So it was kind of cool. Okay, so, no, you, so you. But yeah. I mean, what
0: was the what was the instrumentation in your band?
1: Oh, you know, whatever it was, you know, a lot of fiddle, sometimes two fiddles. There was guitar, obviously, um, you know, whoever I could get. You no, know, there were a lot of, you know, like we were all young. We were doing fourteen different things and not really caring too much about it. But as far um, as, as a, it was
0: still the constant, well, I had
1: a more, I had a straight bluegrass band. Yeah, and straight when I mean say straight, I mean straight because it was like these Christian servers from Fresno. had come over and because uh, they wanted to live in Santa Cruz, sir. And they played bluegrass, and I was the fiddler in that group. And that was a great group because we were obsessed with, with time and tone, just like you're supposed to be when you're doing bluegrass. And a couple of the guys could sing. That was great. Um, so I was doing that, and then I was doing this kind of crazy sort of copy band of the original Great American Music Band that we were, because you know, I'd gone to see. The great American music band, uh, which started with, with Taj Mahal, uh, Mahal playing bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David I Nick, didn't see
0: David Nicter of the band. Okay, yeah. You, you saw with right. John Kahn?
1: I did not see that version of the band. What the band I saw was uh with Richard and David and John Carlini, who I'm sure David is back here about John
0: Carlini. I've never great. heard that name. Who is John Carlini? Okay, guy,
1: the great, you know, genius of early dog music, um, who, uh, after that that version of the Great American Music Band broke up, they did a tour uh, opening for Maria Muldar who had just had her midnight at the Oasis hit. They went all up and down the West Coast, uh, and that was John Carlini, uh, uh, an additional guitar player named Ellen Carney, who never played an open position chord during the entire show.
0: Holy cow. <laughs>
1: and... I, I, a fellow named Joe Carroll,
0: dude, the, the bass, bass dude. Is, see, he's on that strings record with Dog, and I mean, dude, Joe Carroll, unreal bluegrass bass player.
1: Amazing, amazing.
0: Uh, Wait, was Buell? It was uh, Buell Nidlinger in there at all? I mean, that dude's insane too. Um,
1: man. Buell was a later development who I, I actually got to meet and became friends with. Um, but this was like this is you know this is kind of this weirdly interim moment that nobody really knew about. But I went to, again, so funny, I went to see the Country Gazette at the Great American Music Hall. Oh, said, oh, man, the Country Gazette. Oh, yeah, and then, like, wow, it sounds like something with David and, and Richard. i got to see that, too, and they're opening for the Country Gazette. So that, that should be cool. Well, at least I had the sense to know that whatever Richard was involved with was going to be great. But, again, another total life-changing, life-blasting experience with this group David and Richard fronting a band with two other guitar players and uh, this bass player, and they were playing a lot of David's, um, you know, opuses, you know, like the big ones, the symphonic ones, like Dogology and, uh, you know, Thailand. And, and,
0: really? And, yeah, yeah, this, and we're we And we're, we're talking like 74, right?
1: This is 74.
0: Unbelievable.
1: October and- 74. October 24th. And it was Carlini, it was,
0: it was Carlini, Gris, Carlini Grisman Green, uh, and uh, and Joe Carroll. Joe Carroll, and
1: and another guitar player, this guy, Alan Carney. And so it, there was no
0: Taj, there was no Nick Turn, and there was no No, this was go kind of it.
1: post that. You know, they that had kind of started, that got him a gig. <laughs> did I dig, I dig. Reasonable. And then they came out and opened for and. You know, it just happened because I knew it was going to be cool. I brought my old cassette machine <laughs> and uh, just threw the cassette machine <laughs> onto the table, you know, at the club in front of me and recorded the whole show. And again, you know, it just blew my mind because some of those elaborate arrangements were kind of in place at that point. You know, it was a little clunky. You know, we didn't have the speed. I mean, once we got Tony in there and things, you know, I mean, we went into power glide and overdrive, but it had concept, you know, these incredible symphonic arrangements of of these, you know, very involved and, and you know, pretty complicated tunes that David had written. And between David, you know, and and Richard and the bass player, Joe, and John Carly, who after that band broke up, he went to work as the conductor of the Ice Capades for fifteen years. But he was a guy that knew everything you know about music structure theory could write everything down was a brilliant arranger and I think he was kind of the key to a lot of that stuff becoming you know solidified in a form that um you know was so brilliant and and, you know he, he kind of made it possible to for that stuff to get remembered and worked out in in a form that was was playable can I ask you? So, I want
0: to ask you a question, though. This, this is interesting because I, I, I've done a. Again, we're vacillating between the the psychedelic uh, uh, era of of the Beatles, and now we're sort of into the the early to mid seventies. But was it the type of thing where where they were playing these the Great American Music band, Great American uh, String Band? Was yeah, that, okay. you the know, music th- band. Yeah, the music band. They 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 were essentially. Um, Like uh, fusing, playing traditional American folk tunes, but then uh, once they would sort of play the head, then they would wind up totally in almost a jazz setting where they would just be improvising and maybe stretch it out for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Which was, you know, basically, you know, but even more structure, you know, uh, especially with David's material, which, uh, you know, Lot of all the stuff where you know there would be like a you know like long solo over like completely different, than was in the head, and then you know there might be a third part you know that everybody you know the highly arranged part that everybody would play that would bring them back into you know, this surprising recapitulations. They had all this amazing stuff that was going on, and they were playing just straight ahead treatments of Duke Ellington material, also and Thelonious Monk stuff. They throw that in. You know, it's all grist for our mill. You know, it's just American music. And that, you know, that attitude was, you know, exactly. I mean, I just felt like, oh, this is the music I was born to play. This is what I, you know, I have to do this. I will do it. I'm going to take my tape home. I'm going to learn every song that they played on the set, every melody, every harmony, and every solo that Richard takes. I just learned it. I just learned wow. the whole fucking show. And, um, you know, so when, you know, a few months later, when Todd Phillips, um, you know, when that band blew apart, uh, everybody needed to make some money. Richard went with Logginson Messina and, and John Carlini went to, uh, the ice to And David was teaching mandolin at the Blue Bear School of Music up in, in Marion County. Wow. Um, my friend, Todd Phillips went to take some mandolin lessons from him. And, uh, and you know, after he graduated to just kind of go into David's house and jamming, uh, he brought me along and I knew all of David's material. I mean, I was playing basically Richard Green's solos, but, um, I knew it, I could play it. I knew, I knew all his stuff because I was, so t- and I had started a band in Santa Cruz to play some of that material, you know, obviously we couldn't really deal with it, you know, in the same way. Um, you know, I was, like, dragging these guys along, you know, kicking his feet. Oh, yeah, we got to we gotta have another part here, and then, like, I'm going to echo you, and you're going to do this, and then there's going to be some other shit. And then, But, you know, the fact is I was, you know, uh, I just felt like I was born to do that. You know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, Daryl Anger burning away here. So, so I mean, when you – could you just talk about your concept, and this could be with Turtle Island or – uh, any of the work you've done with um, with David, or just the concept of the idea that any note can be the one. <laughs>
1: Well, that's that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. I, I uh, <laughs> what's certainly. your what's
0: your way of looking at it especially when you get into yeah. a setting where you have trust on the bandstand, you you play a lot mm-hmm. live so that when you guys yeah. lose that form and then you all come back in on that one when it, any note can be the one. Just mm-hmm. riff on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's really important that, you know, everybody kind of be in the same space, you know, being able to hear what's going on around you and playing what is you know appropriate but that also includes everybody needs to have a similar sense of story because it really comes down to story you know it's you know there's uh, things are kind of good and then something happens and then there's like a plot all of a sudden and there's like oh no you know this is you know there's like weird stuff going on and then there's um, and then you know there maybe there's a fight and then like and then they you know, people kiss and make up, and then the pigs are okay. And, and, you know, that whole idea of, like, some kind of story that can be manipulated through just rhythm mm-hmm. and harmony and melody um, is really the, the essence of that. And, um, you know, we did a lot of trying to develop our free playing, you know, in David's group. We were listening to jazz. You know, I was already into jazz uh you know kind of i would always been in jazz i didn't even know it was jazz but well, like you know, what really I mean, started working you, on that yeah stuff. What, what do
0: you what do you mean what you do know, you didn't know it was jazz what What kind of stuff
1: well when i you know when it was when when um i was like you know eight years old or whatever it was we got that uh dave brubeck record i just oh this sounds like music to me right, <laughs>
0: right yeah it's
1: music right and then all this cool stuff happens and so the trumps do something and then like the Saful and play some melody, and then the piano pounds really hard, and then it gets quiet and then it's loud, and all that stuff. you know so that was you know it was very, but the idea that people would go off and take solos and improvise on changes that was ingrained very early on for me, you know that that's what you did. you know you just and people would play together and they would make up stuff, you know based on what they were hearing. And you just had to get good enough so that you didn't have to think about what you were doing on your instrument. It was all, you know, in the lower brain function so that you could actually think about, you know, what, what kind of story you were telling. Oh, yeah. Use your mind for that, right? So that, you know, and that, you know, easier said than done, right? <laughs> Especially on an instrument like the violin. Well, I mean, I, really, I
0: mean, you guys make it look easy and it's, I mean, it's, a, 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 you, you well, know. Well, that's the
1: gig, right? Right. Well, <laughs> no, it's
0: true. And you know, it's true. Right, it's, it. it's, it is. I mean, did did, um, but yeah, because if you don't, you know, it, it, you have to be, you have to do it well. Because if you don't do it well, it's, it becomes a mess, and it really yeah. is like, uh, if, you know, I mean, and if it
1: seems like it's a lot of work. Then, you know, then it's a lot of work for the audience. and They're thinking about, oh man, what he's playing is really hard. You know, instead of thinking, wow, this thing is happening, and then, and am I having my own thoughts, my, my own story, you know, in the context of the story that they're telling? Then, yeah. You know, you don't want it to be an athletic event. You know, there's athletic events for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> did you, Um, when did you actually first play, uh, I know David brought in, uh, eventually to record, I don't know if you were on this album or not, but uh, I think uh, he brought in uh, Hal Blaine to play Traps. I'm just wondering when you had, the first time. Oh, you, yeah. When was the first time you played with a trap drummer?
1: Well, that was kind of post- uh, me, you know, that uh, that whole period, yeah. uh, because, you know, t- Tony left, and I left, and Mike Marshall left, and so, you know, he was kind of um, looking for, you know, he wanted a different sound, he wanted to change, um, and, um, you know, Hal Blaine is one of the great storytellers in the music business, knows everybody, knows everything, so it stands to reason that, uh, I mean, I think anybody would want to hire Hal Blaine, you know, at least for a while. To get the culture, you know, just become, you know, just be more hip to the American music culture. Um, so that there was that, of course, I had played with traps, drum sets, you know, all through my, you know, school years, um, you know, playing rock and roll and playing in Santa Cruz, you know, college, all that stuff. You know, I was always sitting with drummers. Um, I, I, I sat in with a couple of guys that used to be in Bo Great. That was pretty cool. Um, wow, because I, mean, I really like that. I really like that they they made that one record, Omaha, and those guys had rhythm. That that that's pretty much all they had, actually. <laughs> um,
0: who who, but, is, who man are,
1: did they ever have it?
0: Who were the drummers? Who were the drummers in that band?
1: Um, oh, you know who knows? I can't even remember. You know, now it's, it's too much. I'm too old. But um, I don't know. It was a it was a tremendous rhythm unit. You know, um, they yeah. had some really hard to decipher lyrics about something or other but um man you know when they started in it was just like man and you know when i think about all the music that i liked before i really knew much about music I i go back you know sometimes i hear stuff on the radio or, or wherever that i used to listen to and it's invariably you know it's got an incredible groove you know, whatever it was you know uh,
0: I dig it, man I mean, yeah It used
1: to be that thing, you know It's just what I'd respond to
0: How how much of a conscious decision do you In today's world Do you try to av- avoid uh, machines In your in your recording pro- uh, process?
1: Oh, you know I, I dig machines um, I seldom record to a click Because I, you know I've had a really good education In, in rhythm uh, Through David and Tony particularly And, you know uh And through some other folks like uh, David Baker, the great jazz educator
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, who left us this last year, which was really sad but um uh you know i mean it's it's that stuff is useful uh it it has its place uh you know I like um some of the, some of the, like the really complicated, weird uh, electronic dance music where people are just doing a lot of crazy effects, and things like that. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I guess what I'm saying is, like, I mean, uh, I
0: mean, I mean, do you, like, like to me, when I interviewed Rick Murata, the drummer, you know, he said that basically when the drum machine came in. Cats uh, started to try to imitate a machine, and now you look at modern right. modern music today. Or you oh,
1: know, you got the beat patterns. Yeah, you can't. You can't patterns.
0: even tell who, who's playing. You can't even tell. There's no individuality in the sound. Before you had to copy the records, and then ultimately oh. there was no one. There was there was not so much stuff to copy, so that basically you you became you had your own individual sound. So I mean, do, yeah. you, do you use drum machines or do you always like to have the real human heart?
1: Well. Yeah. Like I say, you know, I mean, a machine is, you know, it's gonna, I mean, you can manipulate a machine It takes a million years (laughs) to, you know, I mean, what I'm saying is that it takes a long time to make a machine sound like a human being. And probably the best solution to that is just get a human being. Right. Uh, you'll save a lot of time and money, but, um, it's, um, you know, I think that also, um, you know, there's a corollary to that, that, uh, sort of the general level of, you know, of groove ability by humans, you know, has probably been raised, you know, the bar has been raised a bit. So. Um, be from, from just having that, you know, say, oh man, you know, that machine, you know, because if you don't have a program machine, you can get a hell of a groove out of it. Um, it's just not going to sound like a human being. And I prefer to work with human beings, but I, you know, I'm just not going to draw any like, you know, lines on that you know i think uh, you know uh there's there's a place There might not be i mean you know i have personal preferences you know i don't like pop music very much right now it's uh it's like the same melody lick over and over and there's no <laughs> and
0: there's no dynamics uh, and there's no dynamics either really
1: well you know it's dynamic i mean there are dynamics but they're they're more like you know everything stops or everything starts
0: Right, no, I'm actually, I should have made myself clear More like pop, pop lyricists Like in, in vocals, uh-huh. you do not hear dynamics in pop I mean, I've interviewed enough engineers, yeah. you know, to know that I mean, uh-huh. and, and and I just think okay. that, you know Because a lot of times you go see a show Or you hear something and it starts at decibel uh-huh. It starts at decibel 10 And it never, oh, yeah. it never changes You yeah. know what I'm getting at? <laughs> yeah, I guess,
1: yeah Oh yeah, well, I don't really go to that many shows but, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole world of, of anti that, you know, I mean, look, at a group like Lake Street died, you know, right. which is totally popular. People love that group. And that, that is, you know, that's like, they're just doing Motown, but at such a high level. And it's all human and it's, uh, it's all great, you know. And um, so, you know, there's, there's always that, you know, and then there's like this sort of the, you know, the, like the kind of moon calf, you know. Backlash to that, where it's just one kid in his bedroom, you know, you know, a little white kid who you know doesn't know anything, but he's singing
0: <laughs>
1: about something. Right, right. You know, but I mean, he doesn't know why he's unhappy, but he is.
0: But do you? Do you? Can I ask you about like? I mean, are you? When you do recording sessions, whether you're, I mean, do you, ha- are you, is there a lot of overdubbing? Do you like to have people in the studio at the same time? Because, I mean, that's part of the issue today is like, uh-huh. you know, hey, oh, man, yeah. you know, can you email me, uh, can you overdub a guitar yeah. part and put, so, and then email yeah. it to me? Do you, well, do you- I've,
1: I've done it both ways, you know, I've done it, uh, and recently, yeah, I just, I finished a record called Eanda, which is one Eanda, two Eanda. <laughs> it's like, how do you find the group? Right. Um, which is a bluegrass instrumental record that was all live. Pretty much everybody, you know, I did a couple of fixes uh, on my fiddle part because fiddle was so squirrely, um, and I was producing it. But um, it's basically a live record that's beautiful. And then I've done projects like the Heritage record, um, which was mostly overdubbed, built up layer by layer. It took me two and a half years to put this together. But if you get the right people, you can have a very alive situation because people still react to each other even if it's a recording um, you know you get somebody like Bale Fleck and, and David Lindley and people like that uh, playing together they will make it happen you know they'll make, make something happen because they're such good reactors um, so there is that you know um, it's kind of basically what you know You get, you have to do what's possible you know And, um, I love getting bands together and playing together. Um, but I also love painstakingly fashioning a, you know, a highly sophisticated timepiece, you know, Uh, like a, yeah, it's like a beautiful watch or incredibly complicated, um, thing, you know, and right now we have a, a recording studio in my house. that's basically the size of a small attic. So, um, when I record with my, my wife, Emmy, uh we do the guitar and an octave mandolin, and we just do it without a click. We just get, this, get the songs happening, and then we add a bass player, and the singer goes down, and then we add more people, you know, one by one. So we have this very, we have a live basic track, you know, something that sounds like it, you know, it did happen. It was a story. So there's... That's the ways to do it you know
0: No I, I, it's did. Really... I did I did it just it's not The mm. way it's it, music in general and Vocabulary like it's great to have The home studios it's just it's Music's music truly came out of Regional communities in our country It was human yeah. be, human beings that saw Each other all the time and I just You know the, the yeah. all I'm saying is I'm Not trying to be naive and I Realize that we live in this time Period but um, there's something about The uh, the intimacy of of all of of you know, and that and that, and that speaks to yeah. the longevity of people staying together in bands too. Absolutely, it's...
1: yeah, yeah, I, I totally, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And and there's there's a lot of you know very you know, positive things, the, the rise of house concerts. You know, absolutely. I, we, got, we got we got together. You
0: know, you know who came down to Tucson a few years ago when I was working as a journalism journalism teacher at a private school. He performed at the school and then went to a house concert. It was Freebo. Uh-huh oh yeah free but freebo's cool. coming down and singing singing about cool. contemporary so- society you know i, I dig the house con uh, you know anger Listen, yeah. we've been burning for 58 minutes i, I mean i hope <laughs> i hope that we that you're gonna i'm gonna first of all reach out to uh to to your to your 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 uh what is it, your son-in-law uh because, oh yeah because i want him in the well, studio oh you, oh, he's he's great. You no, know, he I want you yourself. to connect. It's Jake Ransom, and then also I I would love. I mean, I don't know. Uh, he uh, your your daughter uh, is your daughter here too, or just your son-in-law?
1: Uh, just just son-in-law. Yeah, he's uh, just 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 got there. Like he's still looking for a place to live. All right. Well, let me. You know, but he's going
0: to be. Please connect us because I've been here since two thousand three. You know, I, I got a yeah. uh, my all my life has occurred. Uh, all the most beautiful stuff in my life Has occurred right here So I'll be glad to, to link up with him And, and if you find oh,
1: yourself
0: If you find yourself down here too I'd love to connect in person Next time we can do part two
1: well, you know, kid, you know, parents always follow their kids. So we'll probably, you know, try to look for a gig down there.
0: Well, I mean, is it there? Th- you know what? Um, I think that that let me uh, let me work on that. It may not be it may not be at the uh, the Trump Tower, but it might be a gig. <laughs> well, it'd be
1: fun. I mean, even a house concert would be great. Yeah, no. Uh, let me let me uh, let,
0: let me cook on that for a minute and. Uh, oh, thanks, Jake. Yeah, listen, Daryl, was a great hang, and uh, and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be getting. I'm I'm, I'm really uh, appreciative of. Uh, you dropping a lot of knowledge today and uh, and I'll be blasting well, these stories out on new media and get, I'll get you a copy of fantastic. this later on. All right.
1: Uh, so much fun. Yeah. All right. That's, that's great. No. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just you know, as just a little additional thing, you know. Um, that's what I tell my students at Berkeley all the time and they're always surprised. It's like people don't go to most people don't go to a concert to hear notes. They go because they wanna be with Cool people that are doing cool shit.
0: <laughs> I think also there's a point that your generation is because you learned from the original masters like Vassar. you able to mm-hmm. have you know the idea is that there's a, a raising of the collective consciousness of the band, and then there's a communication between them and the audience, and that that's something. That, yeah, I mean, it's we, not about monster chops or being so busy that, uh-huh. you because know, you wind up staring at the wall. That's it.
1: We are carriers of culture as well as you know you know we pass on stuff. That is important and that's Incredibly important um, and I'm just Starting to realize that you know your Role you know either as a curator Or a creator and they Don't they don't fight each other They should you know inform each other
0: All right anger we'll be In touch man much love to you Thank, <laughs> no, Yo it's it's man it's have thanks a great so much, day man all right, later on all right, all right, right, Bye bye Daryl anger an incredibly Gifted verbose Vocabulary builder on the violin And uh, we'll be back with Maruga Booker on the other side on the Jake Feinberg Show.